Hello, and welcome to the Shingo Principles Podcast, the podcast for those interested in building a culture of continuous improvement and sustainable organizational excellence. I'm your host, Mary Price, with the Shingo Institute, a program in the John M. Huntsman School of Business at Utah State University. The Shingo Principles Podcast is our way of inviting you to join some of the interesting conversations we have with thought leaders and practitioners around the world experienced in transforming cultures using principles, systems, and tools. I look forward to hearing what you think, and please be sure to subscribe. In this episode of the Shingle Principles podcast, we hear from Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth with Visual Thinking Inc., two-time Shingle Publication Award recipient and Shingle Faculty Fellow, as she shares how managing and leading are closely linked, but they are not the same thing. While each one has a major contribution to make in the enterprise, sequence matters. Begin with managing and you may find it hard to adopt a leader mindset. Begin with leadership and managing can and must align with it and become a useful adjunct. Join Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and leadership coach, as she delineates these differences and shares definitions, examples, and insights that will turn Shingo leadership principles into practical, and inspiring behaviors. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. My name is Mary Price. I'm the Events and Marketing Manager at the Shingo Institute at Utah State University. I'm pleased to have Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth with us today. Gwendolyn is the president of Visual Thinking Inc., two-time Shingo Publication Award recipient and a Shingo Faculty Fellow. She's also the creator of the work that makes sense online training system. You can learn more about the system at shingo.org. Just look under our training tab on our website. If you haven't had a chance to read the article Dr. Galsworth wrote on the topic we're discussing today, I would encourage you to visit our website. Click the media tab and select the blog. You'll find the article there. Gwen, thank you so much for being with us today. I'll turn the time over to you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mary. And thank you very much for the honor of presenting on behalf of the Shingo Institute. I really am delighted. And Mary, perhaps we should mention uh, that I'll be doing a seminar that is connected with this at the annual conference. And also it's a virtual um, session as well. Perhaps people will join. I'm going to be talking today about lead versus manage. And I have a particular experience of this. Just to give you a quick background on my on my company, my company is in the business of implementing visuality, and we've done it across a spectrum of, com- of other companies. We do visual conversions. As part of that, we do a leadership conversion, but we also work with operator-led visuality, supervisor-led in many, many venues in these companies. My association with the Shingo Prize has brought me into the Shingo model. If you want to f- find out more about visuality, you can visit our website. You'll find lots of videos there and our books and other educational materials, 150 articles, a lot of stuff. For our listeners out there, that website is visualworkplace.com. When Mary asked me to do this uh, presentation, I went to the 10 guiding principles to investigate, to see where is leadership mentioned. And when I began to examine those, I noticed that it wasn't mentioned per se as a guiding principle. There wasn't something exactly about leadership, although there are conditions of leadership mentioned. When I thought about it, I realized 
that the place where we first find the call to leadership in the shingle model is when just before we make that decision. It is the making of that decision that is the first demonstration of leadership required by the shingle model because it is a decision to undertake the journey and that journey is a journey of transformation. And that leads us to contrast the difference between managing and leading. I refer to um, a paragraph from a speech given by Charles Turner in 1989, which was 25 years ago, more than 25 years ago, 35 years ago, when his company, Florida Power and Light, was distinguished as the first company outside of Japan to win the Deming Prize. And he said this, he said, the biggest obstacle to improving productivity is management's inability to recognize that it must lead the company out of its productivity problems, its operational challenges, and not manage it out. There is a great deal of difference. Leading means setting the vision, inspiring others by example, and following up to see that the vision is accomplished, that the vision is met. What an important distinction. And I'd like to draw that distinction out in um, the rest of our time together. Managing is a peacetime activity. What I mean by that is it's about maintenance. It's about stability. It's about keeping stable and having a sense of safety. It is about monitoring, checking, tracking, and checking again. And the KPIs that we collect are management KPIs. No KPI as currently presented within that spectrum is actually a KPI that allows you to lead. The KPIs that you that we currently collect monitor the situation, give us feedback on our current activity, but they do not do this, which leading does. They do not drive improvement. They simply reveal opportunities, but they don't drive. And that idea of driving is the contrasting point. Managing is about staying steady and maintaining, keeping going, staying on an even keel. And it is a very important stage of growth for all companies. When leading kicks in, you are saying, we want to grow. We want to expand. We want to advance. Advance is the command. It becomes mandated. It's a mandatory progress. We will grow. We will change. We will transform. We will have risk. And that risk is part of the moment that hurdles us into the opportunity of transformation. We will absorb that risk and I will take you there, says the leader. The required behaviors are deciding and driving. That combination makes the distinction between managing, which is dealing with and monitoring, doing and monitoring, doing and monitoring. There's strength in both. But leading has a particular and very defined objective. It is about exploring the possibilities, innovating, and it is about acute accountability. I'm going to illustrate this in a moment through a personality that I think we'll all recognize. It is about, and I, I want to get these words into our conversation so that you consider them. It is about tracking in order to understand 
tracking in order to compel the journey down the causal chain. Leading is about the investigation of causality, the insistence to understand the sequence of causes that create outcomes, both positive causes and negative causes. And, you know, I I like to say at this point that one of the very interesting aspects of the Toyota production system and of Toyota in general is that it has never really revealed what its core activity is. And in my estimation, its core activity, that which makes it excellent, even though it has had its ups and downs, it returns to its journey into excellence, its transformational excellence. When I look at it, Toyota is about causality, although it's never announced it that way. Toyota is about the causal chain. It is about the science, if you will, the systematic investigation of the causal chain. It is about causality in a word. That is at least my take on it. So leading is about growth and expansion. These are different outcomes maintaining and expansion, and they require different means. They require really a different mindset and a different set of skills. But I think the first thing that they require is making that distinction between managing and leading. And when you go back to your companies and you say, well, what did I learn today and what was important? You might start looking at the line of sight that your KPIs give you but the drive that they don't give you. They do not give you the decision to change or the pathway for doing so. I'd like to talk about this compelling need to lead in terms of the executive, and I'll show you some formats in a moment. This is a scan, but I hope that you find it valuable. Executive leadership is responsible for the corporate intent, finding, focusing, driving, strategic growth, through tactical improvement, through tactical projects. I have found that compelling natural leaders are rare in any field. In the 1980s and 90s, we had a raft of them, and we have them today. In the field of manufacturing, and you may be from healthcare or an agency or military depot, fine, it applies. We are flooded with priorities that constantly compete for resources and attention. When you want to grow, when a company wants to grow, that attention and those resources are pivotal to the outcome of growth and expansion. Many of us see leadership as a gift that is bestowed upon those rare people with a charismatic personality and an expensive Wharton School education. They're kind of groomed to the cloth. But others of us, myself included, know that almost any manager can become an executive and any executive, I'm sorry, any manager can become a leader and any executive must be a leader and can learn how, can learn those leadership skills. The way that I teach it and the way that I think that it is very effectively learned is through the principles and practices of visual leadership. And I'm going to show you a few, but what we have to understand when we're making this change from managing to leading is that it is a shift in identity. It has a particular profile. It is for many a new identity. The constructs of visual leadership are what enable the leader in the making to acquire the skills and to make that change. 
because these constructs have a certain architecture. I'll show you. I can't do this holistically. I can't tell you and show you at the same time. So it's going to be sequential. The architecture of these formats, their two-dimensional formats, impose limits that teach. And they teach this. They teach how to identify and target key priorities, how to even know about a priority, and how to link them to tactical actions and projects, and how to drive them through aligned metrics. I call them visual metrics. They are not KPIs. And you know, uh, we won't have time to actually investigate changing a KPI into a metric, but I want you to know that there's a difference. I'll be showing you other things, but that particular, um, that particular avenue will take more time than we're allowed today. Please see that we are contrasting getting through the day with deciding and driving and leveraging those into growth. The identity that we offer, that I offer, is become a leader of improvement if you're an executive. Become a leader of improvement. Let that be your core identity if you're a supervisor. Here are the constructs for executives. If we have time, then we can glance at the constructs for uh, supervisors and managers, which are different. But this, there are three constructs. The first one is something that I call the OSIT. It is a formulation of the Toyota Temple, but importantly different. It's dynamic, and in my view, it is thorough. The second construct is the X-type matrix, and you see little iconic pictures of them in case they ring a bell. I'll blow them up in just a moment. And the war room. The war room is not the same as an obeyer room. An obeyer room is an informational room. It's vitally important along the journey, but at some point you want to shift from knowing, seeing, line of sight to deciding and driving. This is the recurrent theme, to decide and to drive. Decide comes from the Latin word, which means to cut into two. Ross Perot said this, and I think that it's, uh, again, a very handy phrase for helping us to understand the difference and why the difference matters. People can be, cannot be managed. Inventories can be managed. People must be led. Hmm? That's Ross Perot. I'm sorry I didn't um, cite him. That was my oversight. So becoming a leader of improvement is the shift in identity. Let's take a look. I describe this identity, and I'll only be able to hit a couple of these uh, components, as a hexagon, the shape that you see here. What I like very much about the hexagon as an organizing format for understanding the elements of identities, of these identities, is that it has an anchor element, that thing in the middle. That thing in the middle in the traditional executive role is this. This is the past that we're looking at, demand and control. And it is to insist on and get actions and responses because of your position, because of your authority, positional authority, demand and control. We're going to replace that anchor point when we talk about the shift to leading with lead. This is for executives. It is different for supervisors, slightly different, but importantly so. Connected, of course, associated, of course. But remember, leadership is in charge of the corporate intent. 
of defining it, of driving it, of aligning it, of inspiring it, of checking it. And what does leading mean in my book? I, I put it this way, to define the vision, share the vision, resource the vision, and go first. So yes, modeling is very important. This is the anchor element, as I have come to understand it, of the journey to leadership from being an executive. It's a shift. Leading is the anchor point. And then in sequence, there are six other characteristics or skills. These are really skills that complete the the identity identification, the profile. These are the skills that I need. The second one is the one that I have been talking about a lot, and that is deciding. And I'm going to spend the really the, the rest of my time with you trying to anchor that idea of deciding for you. And hopefully you will be able to feel the power of it. We here in America, most especially, seem to be a little bit shy of power, even though we are powerful. And even though what we do is powerful, we are a little bit shy about admitting that we actually are powerful. And we sometimes mask that. And that's no problem. Of course, one is humble, one is modest, and one is elegantly, uh, one finesses. But the problem is if we don't take the step, the powerful step of making that decision about moving forward, which is searching out and formulating and resourcing the right decision and actions for improving your company. Someone has to decide on right. And in my book, this cannot be done by committee. This has to be the leader's decision. What is right for my company? Deciding. A good example of this is Churchill in the Second World War. If you've read the abridged edition, 750 pages of the mem- his memoirs of the Second World War, you will probably be like me, just stunned. Of course, he wrote it himself. He's careful not to enumerate his many, many mistakes. Nonetheless, you get the profile of someone who lives this first quality of a leader, which is... I want. I want. This is one of the hardest things when I work with a leader to get her or him to own. What is it you want? It's uncomfortable at first to actually say those two words together. And yet it is instrumental. You might try this out for yourself. I want this for my company. I want that for my company. I want it. It gives you a clarity where you own a powerful internal resource that is captured in those words. This is where we begin. So this deciding has to do with the formulation of what you want, the direction you want to improve your company. The Second World War brought that into high relief for Churchill, the bombing of London, the bombing of Great Britain, the Three years of constant assault that the London Blitz, the Great Britain Blitz represented, all of the defeats, all of the failures. How do you keep that alive? It has to be very, very clear to you. And the way that I say it is, how do you say yes to the few and wait to the many? For me, this is the encapsulation of what a leader does and what a leader is and what a leader has to learn to do. How do I say yes to the few and know why and wait to the many 
and know why, because I have limited resources and I know it, and I have limited time and I have limited you. How do I do that in the face of tremendous personal pressure and a tremendous sense of stewardship and requirement? How do I do that? Read those memoirs, and I I find them inspiring. I'm on my third time through and uh, am still just awestruck by the level of pressure, failure, the world's eye on my decisions, making inscrutable decisions on the outside and yet having to make them on the inside, having to wage war. Churchill was not exactly a polite person. He was certainly not humble. And I find parallels, to tell you the truth, with my own sensei, Shigeo Shingo, and his partner, Taichi Ono, whom I've had the pleasure of meeting uh, when I went to Japan, but not knowing the way I did Shingo. These were the co-architects of the Toyota production system, and they were wartime leaders. They needed to save their company. They needed to re resurrect, help to resurrect their country. They weren't patient. They weren't warm. They weren't affable. Humility wasn't even part of the conversation. They had work to do and they did it. They were decisive, carefully decisive, decisive, but decisive nonetheless. They were driven. They were drivers. They were not pleasant people to be around, neither one of them. They had an outward facing face. They had an outward facing demeanor when they needed it. But when you work closely with them, they were barracudas. And I I came upon this idea of a barracuda leader when I thought about, when I I was doing some research on the uh, barracuda. The barracuda is an ambush fish. It it will actually attack uh, at the least provocation. And the way for me that translates is not a respect for humanity that referred to uh, Shingo and Ono, but the Barracuda is always hungry, always hungry for lunch, I like to say. And for the Barracuda leader, that leader is always hungry for the next improvement breakthrough. There are myriad stories of the pressure that Ono put on Shingo to make breakthroughs, make breakthroughs, read his, read Shingo's introduction to single minute exchange of dye. And he'll tell you how difficult that was to bring a three day changeover down to single digits. It almost broke their relationship, but he did it nonetheless. So there's this power behind leadership. If you will, natural leaders, the call was very strong for Ono, for Churchill, for Shingo, but we can learn from them. We can learn when we see that humility is not the dynamic for making the decisions. It will color perhaps the execution of those decisions, but we must feel this internal power of I want. Others are watching. They want to learn from you. You're a leader. You're always modeling. But what are you teaching them? Be careful here. This I want for me is the heart of leading. And all of my work in visuality is about that single quantum called the I, the internal state, and our willingness to examine it and to surface it, to develop it in service of 
our service, our service, our contribution to the company. It is a false dichotomy that we say, and this is a bit of a detour, forgive me, that humility and internal power are contradictory or we have to choose one or the other. It's a false dichotomy. The leader needs to balance both of them, both of them. So it's how do you say yes to the few and know why and wait to the many and know why? How do you do that? It's the how. And the constructs that we use that I mentioned before, I'll just give you a glance of them. And what I want you to notice, please, is the architecture. This is about, oh, seven, eight, nine years to get this right. But this is my equivalent of the Toyota Temple. But its function is to groom the manager into a leader so that the leader, the manager, is learning to make decisions that align, that associate about not just who the customer is, the vision, the mission, but also the strategy and the metric that we're using to measure that strategy. In most cases, it's about the conversion strategy, whether you're agency, healthcare, or manufacturing. It's about the strategic principles, and it's about targeting your systems, the identification of your organization as a system of systems and applying tools to those systems so that they improve. When we work with a manager who wants, or a GM most recently, who wants to make the shift to executive leadership, the first gate is fill this out and get it in balance, get it aligned, get it to talk to itself, get it to have this internal feedback loop. This can take a month, usually not less, because it, it requires time of the leader to sit quietly at 11 o'clock when the kids and everyone in the world is asleep and to say, what is it that I want? Even if you're given the corporate intent, the vision, mission, values, and beliefs by your corporation, you need to deconstruct those and find your own voice in them. Visuality is about many voices. And at some point, the voice of the executive leader becomes paramount. It must be worked on. It must be identified. See, yeah, some people are natural leaders. They have a very strong sense of what they want and it carries them. But what if you don't? Does that mean you're not a leader? No, it just means you're not a leader yet, that you can develop that skill. And this is the first gate. The second gate is the X-type matrix. This is a very developed X-type matrix. It's highly operationalized, but you can see the architecture itself dictates to us that it must, if you will, if I may use this word, it must be obeyed. You must fill this out. And you can find on my website and on the Shingo website, my presentation on the X-type matrix. I kind of do a scan of how it operates, in, at least in terms of how I train it. But all the pieces must work. They have to do with your goals, which you see on the left, to the projects that support those goals, which you see vertically at the top to the resources that you need and the targets that you need that you see on the right and to the outcomes which you see on the bottom, the X. This architecture teaches, it's so wonderful. You know, it has a certain mystery about it that you encounter. And in filling that out, you begin to understand why 
you must say yes to these few, if you will, those things on the left, and wait to the rest. Wait to anything that's on this sheet and give yourself a break. Do it for, the, for a quarter. Don't do it for the year. And begin to experiment with that and watch your slippage. And let these forms, these architectures, these limits teach you. Because that's the way it is when you're a leader. You have limits. Unless you recognize those limits, you're just moving the pieces around. It's called managing. And your company may be on a path of growth and transformation. You need to feel the risk yourself. You need to feel that fine edge of deciding, making the decision, decidere, cutting it in two. This, not that, not yet. Hmm? It is an exercise that gives you confidence in your own willingness to make a mistake. You must have confidence in this to be a leader. There's always risk in growth and expansion. Another difference between managing and leading. There are many, many stories about this, but I hope that this is uh, meaningful for you. This is what I wanted to say when Mary said, would you do something with the leadership principle? And I said, oh, yeah, I think so. So this is something that Vance Packard said. He was a, one of our first marketeers in the 1950s, 60s. I never read him. I was barely able to read at that point, or understand anything about management. But he said this almost. Leadership appears to be the art of getting others to do something you are convinced should be done. That actually is not what he said. He had two words in there that makes all the difference. To want. The art of getting others to want to do what you think should be done. If that is a requirement of the people that we ask to enroll in our vision, then it is our requirement as well. Because we will never be able to hold on to what they want if we don't want it to. This is the internal power. Our internal architecture is made, and it's made up of this amalgam of heart, mind, intuition, and a certain confidence in risk. We had it as a kid. We have it as adults. <laughs> I've been watching Succession and Billions, and it's like, whoa, is that how far you can take it? It's very, it's very instructive even though I don't like any of those people. And of course, that's a point. And I can hear you making it, but does it make you very likable? Well, have an outward, an outward demeanor, a facing, a facing demeanor that allows you to be decent and, and, and kind to people. You don't have to be one thing. We are complex beings. You don't have to not be kind. It's a very important discipline and you'll learn to love it. I'm sure you already do. I I'm not saying that you don't. So leading the, for me, the heart is I want. And in managing, as far as I can see, I can't find any I in it. I can't find any personality. I can't find any ownership of the state of managing, of the condition of managing. But leading has a certain exhilaration of its own. This deciding is very important. And I'm sorry, we'll have to leave for another time the rest of this or wait for my book, which I've tried to write six years ago, and I'm planning to write this year. Think about what we talked about today. Ask yourself, is this thinking a departure for me and my company, or have I already undertaken this? Do I even like it? Do I even want it? And if you have undertaken it, how much further will you go, or do you want to go? Do you want to go further? 
And what's the trade-off if you stop now or decide not to begin? Maybe there's a buddy who watched this presentation with you and you can talk about that, talk about your thinking and raise a question or maybe just show it if you feel it's worthy to a group of your managers that you want to shift into thinking about their role differently. Perhaps this will be helpful. But that discussion with your buddies should absolutely raise questions, but maybe even face you with a challenge where you can apply some of these possible behaviors and see for yourself the shifts, the internal shifts that is required and see if you like them, try them out. So I want to thank you very much. Thank you, uh, Mary, for your patience. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Gwen, for that excellent presentation. A lot of really great learning points. So thank you very much. Thank you. Before we say goodbye, please remember to check out our website at shingo.org events for information on future webinars, workshops, and the 34th Annual Shingo Conference, which will be held in Orlando, Florida on May 19th and 20th. Dr. Galsworth will be teaching a workshop on visual leadership for supervisors. It will be offered in person and virtual. The conference will also be offered in person and virtual as well. Once again, thanks to all of you for attending today, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Please remember to subscribe and to tune in to next time.